Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Casilla. Well, hello and welcome to Trollodrin Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and today we're going to talk about Casilla. She is the first goddess of the second generation of gods, and actually the first god I can say, I guess you can say the second generation, but first goddess, if you want to be specific about it. And as such, there'll be a few different things I'll be sharing about how they are incorporated into the divine pantheon in general but overall the second generation is going to be a little bit weaker than the first generation there was a cosmic law that went into effect when ontogeny and null created the cosmos and that was that nothing could be greater than that which created it it's kind of a common sense thing i think for on most levels but basically what it entailed for them was that they could never be you know challenged or overcome by by their creation on one hand but it also allowed the ability to have things get weaker and weaker and weaker and eventually in time disappear which is what kind of null wanted to achieve with not having continual life going on so it's kind of a compromise with how creation was established and as such that played a role in the development of the gods and so naturally the second generation of gods are not as necessarily powerful as their parents and that also shares in how shows excuse me in how they are portrayed in size and ability overall and there's also a bit, a bit of a difference in how they are able to influence control and manifest dominion over aspects of the cosmos and Trilodon in general because their parents obviously took i don't want to say the chief best parts of the cosmos but came along first and so were able to gather and put together kind of the most abundant resources that were available for their use whether it's cosmic elements divine realms and planes and, and covering out their own place and and power structure in the cosmos and in the overall uh, divine pantheon in general and so you have these new people on the scene trying to make do i don't want to say with scraps but they're trying to make do with what remains and trying to find their place in the overall scheme of things and then of course you also have the challenge or the unique position that they're in that they are the children of the gods and so there are some family dynamics that are interplaying all the time you know whose family is going to get more of a benefit here whose family is going to get more of this or who's going to be left out or or things like that and then of course you know those that don't have kids you know that plays into their thinking as well because this could be a passed on you know their their lineage could receive a greater inheritance and you know there's all sorts of stuff that you have to take into consideration that they're always plotting and planning against each other not in a negative sense necessarily but there are there is that stress and that family dynamic at play within the the structure and with the birth of the second generation you basically have established a divine dynasty uh, basically with power structure and how everything is set in place and again i'm not going to get into all the specifics on that right now because that's not the intention of this episode or this season of podcast we just want to summarize the gods in general and give you kind of an overview of what they are who they are and kind of how they operate in the cosmos and so with that in mind 
let's kind of talk about Kasila, where she is relationally first. She's the daughter of Ganatar and Othon, the brother of Indarian, the cousin to Perloza, and Shiril, and she's one of the light gods. Obviously, we mentioned a lot of times in previous episodes that she um, is part of the family, the main family of the light gods. There are other people that are part of it, but she's mainly with her family. So it's her, Ganatar Othon, and some others we'll get to later, but that she's tied into that. And because of that, she is seen as a positive aspect, at least in lip service, or given that by most people in general, especially in the civilized areas and among mortal kind. She is primarily the goddess of the arts, beauty, and love, and she is one of those gods, again, that doesn't tie into a cosmic element. And so she has a more abstract relationship to her followers and what she is about power-wise and such like that. And as such, she's involved with more of the artistic elements, obviously, and the romantic side of things in general. And that isn't something that is necessarily a day-to-day -day situation for most people. It's not necessarily seen as something incredibly practical, shall we say, for most people. So she's not readily seen as the goddess of choice for most people. Obviously, if you're a bard or you're an artist or you're a musician or someone who's really smitten with, you know, love in general or wanting to get a wife or spouse or what have you, and you want, you, know, you might be more inclined to, to follow them in general, follow her in general. But she's not, like I said, the first lady you want to, you know, first deity think, oh, yeah, I'll worship Casilla. She might be a part of a group like the Light Gods or something, but she's not really, not something really most people try and tie to or, or get to or even try and be a priest to in, in general. So that's, you know, not to say she's not available, but she is probably going to be found in shrines, probably going to be found maybe major temples in larger major kingdoms or, or nations or things like that. But in general, you're probably going to more likely come across a shrine than a temple. And maybe even then just a, a grouping of people like bards or things that are, or bardic colleges where they're basically trying to... Uh, you know, honor her in a certain way like that, but you're not really going to find her necessarily in every every common big city in general, for lack, you know, for understanding that in general. But her realm is called Delecta, and she rules there with her followers as well, the Muses. She is credited with the creation of the Muses, who also go around, and uh, there's a Muse assigned to each specific land on Traladrin, and also, also there are some that are in the cosmos that kind of do her bidding and they're generally there to increase the awareness and uh, perpetuate the idea of arts and literature arts and music and stuff that she likes that she's about and they're all they're all there to kind of encourage that and help people kind of go on that that more positive path in life and they've been around there for millennia and they've been helping people for millennia as well and there's all sorts of stories and legends and myths about them as well which we're not going to get into maybe that's another episode for a different day but just so you know she did create the muses and she's in charge of them in general uh, again typically she's seen as a, as a positive element a positive aspect there are some different views on on her element of love uh, some of them might get more into the the whole uh, what you could call perhaps the carnal or lusty side of it uh, but in general she's seen as more of the I guess the selfless love and the, the what we might consider the true form of love, which is not necessarily manipulation and gratifying uh, urges and things like that, but more like the selfless giving of oneself for, for other people and the sacrificial love and more of the positive aspects of it. At least that's what the priests and the religions 
tend to focus on it. But again, like I said, there are some people that take it to the other extreme and, and do that as well, based upon what their, their own preferences are. How she appears in general, she is considered to be, I guess you can say, probably the most beautiful of the gods in general, and that probably fits in with what her elements are, as beauty and love and you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, she is, again, because she's a second-generation god, she's 14 feet tall, like all second-generation gods are, and she has serpentine curled chestnut hair, kind of has a reddish tint to it. She's also olive-skinned, and she has these very, I guess you could say, stunning hazel eyes about her. And how she dresses, it really varies from time to time, place to place. It's always tasteful. It's always, I want to say, elegant, um, artful. Um, it's just obviously being someone so given to the creative spirit. She just has a more fluid form of fashion and how she dresses and what she wears, and obviously it has to fit the occasion and, and so on. But that's kind of how she generally appears. She's not really known to carry weapons or armor more often than not. She's just kind of seen as this, you know, beautiful, inspiring deity. And speaking of that, some of her titles are Mistress of Music, High Patroness of Bards, Mother of Muses, Bringer of Love and Beauty, the Great Artist, and the Enchanting Goddess. Her symbol is called the Golden Lyre, and is basically a lyre that has a sprig of roses growing up from around it. And on banners and similar forms of display, you'll find that the background is white and the lyre is gold, and the roses are in their natural, usually red hues. But when it's used for holy symbols, the symbol is carved, into, or carved out of precious metals or stones into a pendant, and it's affixed with a thin chain of silver or gold. And again, that could vary based upon the priests, their ability to afford the thing, or where they get it from, and, and so on and so forth. But that's generally how she's perceived. Again, you're not going to necessarily find her temples in, in major major places, just kind of run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. But she does have the unique nature of being tied to Ganatar and Othon and has her brother being Indarian, which is kind of a unique combination when you think about it, which we'll talk about him in the next few episodes. But she is not, not seen as a negative goddess, not seen really as a super, like, you got to have her kind of thing in your life. So again, one of those one of those deities are not necessarily bad or good. They're just kind of there. And maybe if you need some help, like I said, you get that's some marriage trouble or you want to get next to that, you know, woman, certain woman next to you at the the get-together potluck, whatever, you're going to say, hey, you know, maybe I'll start getting on her good side. Obviously, if you're in the if you're in music business, you're bar, you're artist, whatever, you want to carry her favor for inspiration. If you are one to get into the muses or whatever, that might be something you want to, you know, focus on as well. So there's there's certain elements and paths that would lead you toward her, her worship in general. But in general, you're, you're not necessarily going to find a whole lot of people who are solely ascribed to her as their deity of choice or are really fanatical about her in general. And so she's kind of one of these unique gods, like I said, that just not not in the background, but they're there, but they don't really have a lot of influence on most people's lives in general. Now her realm is called Delecta, and uh, she hangs out there with her muses and all the people that go there in the afterlife. And I guess it's supposed to be a very beautiful place, an inspiring place that people can just enjoy and, and delight in for all eternity, as you would expect a, a good afterlife to be for a goddess of beauty, art, and love. So... And that's pretty much all I'm going to share on that right now. I mean, she doesn't really have any suitors. That I mean, she people have occasionally tried to get her to, you know, try to woo her, for lack of a better expression. But uh, 
she has not necessarily been one to be seen as uh, always involved in a relationship. In fact, for all she conveys, she's oftentimes kind of seen as celibate in a lot of things. She doesn't really engage in in uh, relationships in a lot of ways, although she is uh, open to possibilities of that in the future. But again, I'm not going to share a whole lot of that right now because uh, there are some elements of that that might be getting presented in some future stories uh, in the not-too-distant future, hopefully, and I don't want to ruin that for everybody who want to be checking that out. So I think it's a good time to kind of wrap up this particular podcast with her. Like I said, I'm just trying to do a little thumbnail summary about the gods in general. Some of them will be a little shorter than others because there's not a, you know, not a whole lot to pass on at this time for some of them, like this particular episode. But in general, if you have any questions or commentary, if you want to know more about particular deities or want to have other questions about different elements of Trollodon, then please feel free to send me an email at lore, that's L-O-R-E, at chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E. Otherwise, we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.